Amen. What a wonderful way to spend our time together singing God's praises for his salvation in Jesus Christ. This morning, we come to hear from God as his word is preached. But for those of us who are gathered or watching online, I think it's helpful for us to reflect for a few moments on the year 2020. Now, for some of you, you're tired of thinking about this year. For many of us, we're struggling, we're suffering, and no one expected this year to turn out as it has. After all, we have been wrestling all year with a COVID-19 pandemic where we've had stay-at-home orders and mask mandates and school closings and too many Zoom meetings. And all this time at home has led to family conflict, to marriage troubles, to more and more struggles and suffering through domestic abuse. And there's even been an increase of suicide that's taken place in our country. But if all of that is not enough, we have now entered into an economic recession. Because of the pandemic, over 22 million jobs were lost this year, with many more people working less hours and making less money. So many people through our nation are now struggling financially. And they don't know how long they can last. We know that's not, that's, if, if, as if that's not enough, there's more that's happened this year, right? There's been unresolved racial tensions that have come up with Ahmed Arbery and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and other black men and women who have been killed at the hands of white men and police officers and whatever you may think of what is going on? This has ignited protests and even riots taking place in many cities in America. And of course, we're all aware of how divisive this year's presidential election has been. And whoever you may be planning to vote for this year, there is an increasing frustration and concern about the other side. And many are not even sure if whoever loses the election this year will even be willing to concede to the winner, which could lead to a constitutional crisis in our nation. Then there's also the personal struggles and suffering we go through. Many of you are aware of my own family. One of my daughters is at home this morning because of having cancer, leukemia, and uh, she has been treated over the last two years, receiving chemo, regular hospitalizations, and other challenges that have arisen in our family. It's not hard for any of us to then be overwhelmed and hurting right now. So many are struggling and suffering well, this morning, let us then receive some encouragement from God. In the midst of everything we are growing through, going through, let us hear then from God and gain his perspective among these difficult days. Because when we are encouraged by God's love for us, our hope and our joy will flourish even in the hardest of circumstances and the most difficult of situations. But before we turn our attention to God's word and the scripture this morning, let us once again pray for the blessing of God's word preached. Father, many of us are troubled. We may even be fighting back tears. 
And we want to hear from You. Father, we need to hear from You. So may this be far more than a message from a preacher. But may You speak this morning as Your Word is proclaimed. And through these precious truths of Your Word, Father, may we grow in our hope and even joy in the midst of being overwhelmed and hurting. And through it all, Father, may our faith in Christ grow because it's only in Him that we can not only endure, but thrive. And so we pray You'll be with us as we continue to look at Your Word, Father, and ask these things in the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, this morning God gives us seven encouragements in order to weather the storms of life. And so we've already heard from them as we read Romans 8 together, but there will be seven encouragements with seven scriptures we're going to briefly consider this morning. And if you're one to take notes, uh, you'll want to write these down. But seven encouragements for us to hear. The first encouragement is that God's love recognizes the world we live in. God's love recognizes the world we live in. And, and here let's turn to Genesis chapter 3, the beginning of Scripture, and look at verses 17 and 19, because what we find is that this world is not what God created it to be. When God created the heavens and the earth, He repeatedly announced it was good. Seven times in chapter 1, God saw what He created and it was good good. And on his final day of creation, God then creates mankind in his image to represent him in this world as we rule over this world under his reign. Which is why humanity then becomes the very climax of God's creation. And as we read then at the end of Genesis chapter 1, then God saw everything he had made and indeed it was very good. So we were then placed in the Garden of Eden with the responsibility to make the rest of the world like the garden. So that the entire earth would be a fit place for us to live together with God. So stop and picture what the world was like during this time. We were created to dwell with God. We were to work together to carry out God's plan. And we were living in a peaceful and harmonious creation. But what changed? Why is that not the world we live in? Well, our first parents were tempted to live for themselves in selfishness rather than to live according to God's loving and wise purposes, which is why they then rebelled against God in sin. And this betrayal of God brought his judgment into our world, which cursed his good creation and our lives in it. So after God judges Satan, who tempted our parents, and after God judges Eve, our mother, for her sin, God then turns to our father, Adam. And it's these painful words that we read in Genesis 3. So let's Read Genesis 3, verses 17 and 19, as God turns to Adam. We read, And to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Do you see what then happened in this world? Since Adam and Eve served as our representatives, 
We are then cast out of paradise to live in a cursed world of hardship and frustration and death. Which is why we then struggle and suffer in this world. It's why our work is harsh and even futile. And why we will all return to the ground under the punishment of death. Think of all that we lost. All of our relationships are now broken through the selfishness of sin. We are alienated from God. We take advantage of one another. And we live in a corrupt world to die when we will face God's punishment for our sinfulness. Is it any surprise then that we will be overwhelmed and are hurt in this world? Of course not. This is why we fight in our marriages. It's why we argue with our children. It's why our bosses are unfair and harsh. It's why our government officials are corrupt and refuse to work together. This is why viruses and diseases invade our bodies. This is why mental disorders cloud our minds. This is why loved ones die and on and on and on it goes. But listen, God recognizes all of this. The world has not spun out of control. God's not sitting up in heaven, wringing his hands in frustration. He's not looking down at us and wondering what's gone wrong. No, he has a plan, a purpose he is carrying out in this world. And because of God's love for us in the midst of cursing this world and condemning our sin, God also makes a promise to save us from his punishment, the punishment we deserve, and to then prepare a new world for us to enjoy life with him again forever. Which then brings us to our second encouragement. Our second encouragement. That God's love redeems us from our sinfulness. God's love redeems us for our sinfulness. And now we turn to the New Testament. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. Because in these verses, we have a great declaration. God is love. God is love. And while God is just, and we deserve his judgment of death, God is also love, which is why we have the hope of eternal life. And that's what we read here in John 4. So let's, let's look together at verses 7 to 11. Where we read, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, God's love is revealed to us through his only begotten son taking our place. And that's where our hope then is found. That while we deserve God's judgment in death, God sends his own son to become one of us and take the very punishment we deserve as he dies under the curse and judgment of God through his death on the cross. And it's then through Christ that we are redeemed and set free from our slavery to sin. So that we can live out of gratitude towards God and what he has done for us. You see, God sent his son, we read here in 1 John 4, 
to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that's a big word, propitiation, but it is a vital word for us to understand. What does propitiation mean? Propitiation means to appease, to remove, to satisfy the wrath of God for sin by offering a sacrifice. What wondrous love then is this for us? That while we are God's enemies as slaves of sin, who live in rebellion against God, he is willing to offer his own, his only begotten son. When God becomes one of us in the person of Jesus Christ to take our place and to receive our punishment as his own. This is why then God is love. And he is the source of all love in this world. In the 80s, there was a silly romantic song. Uh, you want to know what love is? Well, the answer is not how the song replies. Christ shows us what love is. And when we believe in his sacrificial offering of love for us, our souls are born of God, and we know God, and now live through God. So when we've experienced the love of God through Jesus Christ, then there is no need to fear death, or whatever may happen to us in this world, because nothing can separate us from God's love. See, our bodies may return to the ground, but our souls will live in the presence of God until Christ returns and this age comes to an end. So God's love sets us free from our slavery to sin and gives us life so that we will love him and we will love all those that God redeems from our sinfulness, which is why our love then is a reflection of God's love. You see, the problems of the world are not only out there, Problems of the world begin here. They start here in each and every one of our hearts. Since we live selfishly in sin, we hurt ourselves and we hurt others. And since they too live selfishly in sin, they hurt us and they hurt themselves. Now, admittedly, sometimes we are victims what happens to us is not our fault. And so we struggle and suffer when someone sins against us. This happens when we are wronged, when we are cheated, when we're even abused. And this isn't our fault. We shouldn't feel guilty when we experience such suffering and pain. But while not all the hardships and troubles we experience are our faults, we would be fooling ourselves by always seeing ourselves as the victim. See, the truth is that our sin brings consequences in our lives, and we are often responsible for our own troubles. It's interesting how quick we can be to criticize others while we make excuses for ourselves. How quick we are to judge others while we, while we uh, rationalize our own sins. See, then our only hope of change in our lives and in this world is Jesus Christ. He is the one who redeems us from our sinfulness to then love one another. God's love then sets us free to live a life of love. So we have this glorious encouragement that God's love redeems us from our sinfulness. There's more encouragement from God's word to receive this morning, brothers and sisters. We come then to our third encouragement, that God's love reminds us of his goodness during our struggles. God's love reminds us of his goodness during our struggles. Let's go back to Genesis. I know we're going back and forth here, but Genesis chapter 50 verses 19 to 21, because here we have a great example of God's love at work in history. Here we come to the life of a man named Joseph. 
which is recorded all the way from Genesis chapter 37 to the end of Genesis in chapter 50. And some of you may already be familiar with the life of Joseph because you've seen the musical Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. But even if you haven't, we learn so much about his life here through God's Word. See, Joseph lived a difficult and even tragic life for many years. While his father Israel loved him more than all his other children, his brothers quickly came to hate him and were jealous of him. So they conspired against him to murder him. In the midst of murdering him, they see an opportunity as slave traders pass by, and they decide rather than kill their brother, they will sell him into slavery. And so he goes down to Egypt while his father is told he is dead. And it's down there that he becomes a slave to one of the leading government officials, to an officer there of the court under the king of Egypt, or the, the pharaoh. But even in his faithful service there in Egypt, he catches the eye of his master's wife, and she seeks to have an affair with him. And Joseph, after repeatedly refusing her advances, is accused of rape and sent to prison. But through everything that Joseph faced, through Genesis, we see how God was with him and God blessed him, which eventually leads to Joseph's release from prison, where he becomes second in command to Pharaoh himself. And it's in this position of leadership under Pharaoh that Joseph was able to save his family's lives during a severe famine when they had to come down to Egypt to get food. But do you know what we can miss as we read this story? How difficult and how long Joseph's troubles and hardships lasted. He was hated and betrayed by his family. He was almost murdered. And he spent 13 years as a slave and then a prisoner. 13 years! Imagine being forcefully taken from your home. And you're sold into slavery in another country. And even after all of your hard labor, you were wrongly accused of a crime and then thrown into a filthy prison cell for several years. How would you feel? And what would you be thinking about God? God, why would you let this happen to me? I have sought to follow you and be faithful to you, and here I am now, rotting in prison. Where are you, God? Day after day, month after month, year after year, things just seem to keep getting worse and worse and worse for Joseph. Yet God was with Joseph through all of these years, and he was working through Joseph to save his family. When his father eventually dies, his brothers come to once more fear him, and they worry that Joseph will take revenge on them for what they had done. And so they beg for his forgiveness. And so it's here in Genesis 50, verses 19 to 21, that we read Joseph's response. Let's read this together. You know, verse 19, Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You see, God uses the evil in this world for our good. He has a purpose in everything we are going through. Which gives us then 
hope in the midst of our struggles and suffering. It's why then we read this wonderful promise, why we already read it in Romans 8.28 this morning, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to His purpose. But do you think that Joseph knew what God was doing when he was sold into slavery? Or when he was thrown into prison? No. No. He didn't know. So often we can only see in hindsight God's purposes in what has taken place. Which is why we don't know why God allows us to go through our struggles and suffering in life. But even as we don't know, here's what we do know. That God has a promise or a purpose in whatever we're going through. And because God is good, we can trust that whatever is happening in our lives is also ultimately for our good. Now, this doesn't remove our difficulties. It doesn't make life easy. And it doesn't explain why bad things happen to us. But it does encourage us to endure through our trials and to live by faith in God's goodness. See, God's love reminds us of his goodness during our struggles. There's still more, more encouragement to receive from God's word. Let's come to our fourth encouragement, that God's love renews us through our afflictions. God's love renews us through our afflictions. Let's Turn now to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. You see, not only is God good towards us during our struggles, but he's at work in us as we struggle and suffer. He is daily transforming us more and more to be like Christ. And so we read here 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So what are our trials and troubles called here? Our light affliction. Now this is not to minimize how challenging or difficult they may be. As we've already seen, life in this world is not easy. But they are called our light affliction because they are temporary. And when you compare them with the eternity of joy that we have to look forward to in Christ, they're but for a moment. So when we recognize God's work of renewing our souls day by day through our afflictions, as we learn to wean ourselves from this world and to depend upon God and look forward to all he is blessing us with, we don't focus on what we can see, whether it's our situation or our circumstances or our difficulties but on what God is doing behind the scenes in our lives and in his world. This is why I need to put on heavenly glasses in my afflictions. Now, when I take off my glasses, I no longer see clearly. As a matter of fact, I can't even read my sermon notes right now. Things become blurry and I don't see what's in front of me, which can quickly lead me to be confused and frustrated when I don't know what's going on. But God's word gives us this heavenly perspective to see what is going on in light of eternity. So whatever I am facing in life, no matter how hard things get in this world, it's temporary. And God is at work through it to prepare me for a glorious future that far exceeds anything I experience in this world. You see, God's love renews us through our afflictions. 
there's still more encouragement from God's Word. Let's come to our fifth encouragement. God's love receives our prayers for help. God's love receives our prayers for help. And here we turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Because when we are overwhelmed and hurting, we know that God cares for us and He wants to hear from us. Which is why in the midst of persecution here, the Hebrew church is given these words of encouragement. Let's read them together. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now in the Old Testament, God dwelled among his people Israel in the temple, but he was far too holy to allow them into his presence as sinners. So God called out a man to be the high priest and serve as their mediator, as the one who would represent them as he entered into the holiest place to offer the blood of an animal's sacrifice on the Day of Atonement so that God's people would then be forgiven of their sins. So year after year after year after year, the Day of Atonement would come, and the high priest would then go into the Holy of Holies to offer a blood sacrifice for their sins. And these high priests then showed the need for a greater high priest to come, which is Jesus Christ. Christ, then, is the one who serves as our mediator as he enters into the throne room of heaven itself to offer his own blood as an atonement for our sins, which then removes our guilt of sin and also cleanses us from the pollution of sin. But look again at verse 15. The God became one of us in the person of Jesus Christ to sympathize with our weaknesses. See, Christ experienced the temptations we experience. He endured the hardships we endured. He entered into the struggles that we struggle with, and yet all without sin. What great love this is. God didn't simply stay up in heaven sad over our suffering. He wasn't up sitting on his throne in heaven merely pitying us from a distance. But he became a man who lived in this world to personally sympathize with our weaknesses and then to serve as a mediator so we be reconciled with God so that we can then enter into his presence whenever we need. What confidence then we have to enter into his heavenly throne of grace. And here we see we are to enter boldly to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, I know that we live in a nation that does not have a king. You could think of living when these words were being written. Of living in a kingdom where a king was in his palace and sat on a throne. How intimidating it would be to go into the presence of of a king. You may feel unworthy, or you may fear what a king would do to you as you were there standing before him, and you wouldn't dare go in uninvited because you would risk death. But listen, some of us feel this way in our relationship with God, that we are unworthy, that we may fear what God will do to us or that we may not be invited. Yet, here we have a heavenly invitation through Jesus Christ, which reveals His throne room is always open to us. With Jesus Christ as our high priest. 
And when we come to God in his heavenly throne room, it is not a throne of judgment, but it is a throne of grace. So when we need help, God does not want us to suffer on our own. But he wants us to come before him in prayer as we freely and boldly speak to him. Our requests in time of need. Where he listens to us. And he answers our prayers according to his perfect will for our good. So God's love receives our prayers for help. There's still two more encouragements to go. Isn't this overwhelming? We may be overwhelmed with what's going on in this world, but brothers and sisters, God's love is overwhelming through Jesus Christ. So our sixth encouragement is that God's love raises us in a family of faith. God's love raises us in a family of faith. And here we turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Because when we are saved by God's grace and have received God's love through faith in Christ, we're also adopted by God our Father to enter into his family of faith as children of God. You know, many of us are here with our families this morning. We love our brothers and sisters. We look out for them. We provide help and support to them when is needed. And so the same is true for us spiritually. That we have spiritual brothers and sisters in God's family who also love each other. And who are called to help and support one another in this family of faith. So we read here in Philippians 2, verses 1 to 4, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Look at the love that we are to have for one another in the church. We're to humbly put others before ourselves and before our own interests. And watch out for their interests as well as our own. You see, we have a responsibility towards one another in the church. They look out for your interests, and you look out for their interests. So I ask you, do you have this kind of relationship in your life? You know, I'm convinced the internet and social media today has given us the illusion of being connected with others of friendship. Yet as many psychologists today recognize, we have never felt more distant and alone. Because there is a far greater relationship of love that God has created us to be a part of. And it's the love of his family through the church. And yet we live in a time where we prize our privacy where we value our independence. And so what does church come become for many of us? A weekly meeting I attend. Some even see church as an obstacle to my own personal relationship with God. Which is why most of our relationships anymore tend to be outside of the church. But this leaves too many lonely and exposed to facing hardships and hurt without God's support system of love in his church. As the theologian John Stott rightly reminds us, the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community for his purpose, conceived in a past eternity, being worked out in history and to be perfected in a future eternity, is not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness, but rather to build his church, that is to, just, that is to call out of the world a people for his own glory. 
So what does this mean for us who are overwhelmed and hurting? It means we have the support and the strength of a family. Our family of faith to then help us walk through our challenges. You see, God didn't save us as isolated individuals to face our troubles alone. But he adopts us into a family through which we grow together and support one another. That's why God's love in Christ is usually experienced by his people through his church's love for one another. And it's when we then live as this community of love that we can look to one another and we can care for one another. Now, I know that Cornerstone Fellowship Church is by no means a perfect church. I also know that we are striving to be this kind of community through the strength of the Holy Spirit. So whether you join with us in our church family or you belong to another community, my prayer is that you will find these bonds of love in a church family. Because God's love raises us in a family of faith. Then there's one last encouragement for us this morning from God's word. Our seventh and final encouragement that we have to look forward to. That God's love restores what is broken. God's love restores what is broken. This is our future hope in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5. Now, those of you who know me know how often I come to this passage of Scripture. But listen, our history is headed somewhere. And we have a glorious future to look forward to in Christ. See, our light affliction will one day come to an end, and the temporary will give way to the eternal which is pictured so beautifully for us in these verses. In Revelation chapter 21, the Apostle John is given a glimpse or a preview of what will one day become our reality. So John records for us this great vision in these verses. Let's read then Revelation 21 verses 1 to 5. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea than I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. See, when we look forward to this coming of eternity, when we can enjoy living in this presence of God forever. And what comfort this gives us as we live life in this world today. Because we know a day is coming where there will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Our tears... death, sorrow, crying, pain. These are temporary. What we have to look forward to lasts forever. See, God's love provides us with a wonderful future to focus on as we live in this world. And all that has been broken by sin will one day be restored. So we will live free from all of the problems and pains of this world as we rejoice in God's presence. This coming city that we live in will arrive when heaven and earth become one. 
when this world will be restored and renewed and Christ is preparing us even now as his people to dwell there in the fullness of joy. And don't miss in verse 5 the words that are recorded here are faithful, they are true, which means they will be our future. Which is why until that day comes, we live in this world focused on our future as we wait for resurrection bodies to then enter into our permanent and glorious home. So what have we then learned this morning in our biblical survey on God's love? Oh, listen, if you hear nothing else, hear this. May the greatness of God's love encourage you when you are overwhelmed and hurting. May the greatness of God's love encourage you when you are overwhelmed and hurting. Because God's love is what gives us hope and even joy in this world as we wait for the fullness of his blessings to come in the world to come. So I ask each and every one of you this morning, has God's love entered your life? Do you know this love of God in your own heart and soul? Because when we are encouraged by God's love for us, our hope and joy in life flourishes. But without God's love, you are left in your sin in a cursed and corrupt world that's filled with struggles and suffering until you die and face God's judgment. Oh, receive God's love by believing in Jesus Christ's offer of love as he willingly sacrifices himself for all who trust in him. Receive God's love for you through Jesus Christ, who forgives all who turn away from their sins in repentance and turn to Christ and trust in him through faith. Receive Christ as your Savior who saves you from the judgment of God and who gives you life to then live with God forever. See, in Jesus Christ, the greatness of God's love will encourage you even when you feel overwhelmed and are hurting. That's why I love the words of the 17th century Scottish Presbyterian pastor Samuel Rutherford. Listen to what he has to say. Believe God's love and power more than you believe your own feelings and experiences. Your rock is Christ, and it is not the rock that ebbs and flows, but the sea. Brothers and sisters, we may have the stormy seas all around us in our lives. But as long as we stand on the rock of Christ, we will be saved. And this stormy seas will one day come to an end. But God's love continues forever. May we then be encouraged by the greatness of God's love when we are overwhelmed and hurting. Let us pray. Father, we may have come here this morning with different burdens on our hearts, with different challenges in our lives, with different struggles in our souls. But we've heard from your word this morning that your love covers it all.
And your love is at work through it all. And your love indeed is accomplishing all that we have to look forward to through Jesus Christ. May we receive your greatness of your love by believing in Jesus Christ and by continuing to believe in Jesus Christ even as we go through times of being overwhelmed and through times where we hurt. May these be times where your love is more precious to us than life itself. Because in Christ we are given eternal life which can never be taken away. But we have every confidence that because of your love, we look forward to an eternity of joy in your presence. May this be our hope as we continue living in this world. And may no one, Father, leave here this morning or log off from being online without having this hope and this joy in their lives. Father, we pray and ask for all of these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, we come to a time where when we are gathered together as a church, we observe the Lord's Supper. Uh, but for those of us who have joined us online this morning, we recognize our time together is coming to an end. I want to encourage you, though, if you'd like to reach out to us to uh, leave a comment on the Facebook feed or to send a private message uh, to the church, and somebody will certainly respond to you. You can go to our website as well and learn more about our church family. But I hope above all that you've received the encouragement of God's love for your soul through Jesus Christ. So we thank you that you were able to join with us. And look forward to meeting you, if the Lord wills, in the future.